You're listening to the film show for film geeks by film geeks, the one and only The Film File. And we are back. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Beacon. And we have got a show for you because, well, that's what we do. We put a show on just for you. <laughs> <coughs> Steady yeah. on there. <coughs> and Andy's got... A... <coughs> oh, Christ. <coughs> I'm off now. <coughs> Let's get this out of the way. <coughs> so Andy's got a bit of a cough today, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> Whether Andy's going to make it to the end of the show, I don't know. It just has that heightened sense <laughs> of expectation to uh, what otherwise is going to be a pretty packed show. Andy, other than the coughing, how have you been? Um, yeah, I- I've got a week off coming up. And I can't wait. I'm so, so ready for just a week off. And I'm not doing anything for that week off. I am just having a week off because it's my birthday. It's my birthday. Oh, like, oh yep. happy birthday, Andy, in no, advance. But, uh, yep. Uh, beginning of March is my birthday. So basically the day that the next episode lands on all the streaming platforms, which will be the Wednesday the 2nd, that's my birthday. So everyone who's listening today, Tell all your friends to download the next episode as my little birthday present, and I'll love you forever. <laughs> yeah, do that. You don't have to send a card. You don't have to send cake. Well, you can't send me cake. Just share, share the cake. love of the show. But That's all that I ask. Because we're sharing our love of film with you guys, so it's only fair, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, it's, it's it's a nice recommendation. Um, I've just had a week off, and um, I've got to be honest, I've not done a great deal. I've hardly left the house. Did a bit of catching up with stuff, some TV stuff that I was behind on started something new and um i just want to dedicate this week's show to um something i read on twitter we've never done this i've never dedicated a show to anybody and i doubt we'll ever do it again never say never this is to a guy called kevin hoskinson in uh, in the states oregon we think who is a uh, is a bit like us he's a film geek and he and he writes his reviews of of movies that he likes, but there was something that really got to me. It was somebody who posted something vile about his writing on on Twitter, um, and it really got under my skin in a way that social media I normally avoid to things get under under my skin. I don't allow it. I, I don't enter into this dojo with that kind of mindset. But this this annoyed me. This guy, um, and we're going to give you a, a link to his his, uh, his his Twitter site in a bit. Basically, got this vile vile message about the, how somebody thinks his 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 writing is terrible and says says something dreadful about him. Says that they're friends and they're laughing at him. And this is a guy Kevin who just goes out and writes in the same way that we put a podcast together. Something that he enjoys uh, and and writes about what he enjoys. And uh, we're not going to get into it big time because I think we could spend spend some time on it. But what I just want to say is. As film geeks supporting other film geeks, which sounds like a, um, some sort of uh, site where you can you can log on to and other film geeks can say how hard time they have when they criticise a movie. But um, I'm just going to dedicate this uh, this show to Kevin. And if you're listening, Kevin, keep it up. We all do this because we love it. Yeah, uh, I th- this message, I didn't follow Kevin on Twitter. And if you want to follow him, it's at Kevin underscore Hoskinson. But this popped up because one of my other mutuals shared it on their timeline. And I straight away had to give Kevin a follow because looking at his stuff, he everything that he writes is from the heart. And I respect that a lot more than people who structure writing to please 
please an audience. He's clearly writing what he loves writing about. And that's exactly what we do on the show. We talk about what we love talking about. And sometimes we come across as, you know, a bit all over the place. And if you ever had to, if you ever listen to the unedited version, you'll realise how never do. please never do that. <laughs> how much we go off on tangents and we we occasionally completely lose the plot of what we're talking about. But it's because we're talking passionately about what we like. This whole message that it was sent, and it looks like it was a direct message, and that makes it even worse because I had a chunk of them. You remember me regaling the story of how I had to close one of my Twitter accounts down yeah. because I reckon the same fan base were attacking me as who's been attacking Kevin. One thing that stood out from this for me was that you really need to watch more shit if you think Peacemaker is anywhere near good. Now, there's one certain hashtag supporting group of fanboys out there who are attacking anyone who likes Peacemaker at the moment because they're pathetic. And that looks perfectly like it's one of those people. Yes, I'm talking about those people who give Zack Snyder a bad name by thinking that they're Zack Snyder's biggest fans. You're not good, guys. You're scum. You're the scum of the earth if you feel that you need to attack people who don't love something that Zack Snyder did. And they're attacking Peacemaker at the moment because how dare James Gunn reference characters from Zack Snyder's universe. Now, it's the DC universe. Get it right, guys. Zack Snyder's universe that um, um, he won't be allowed to make any more films of. Get over it. Move on with your lives. Stop attacking people who love stuff. Absolutely pathetic, childish behavior. I've got absolutely no love for any of that cult at all it's, it's it ridiculous it's ridiculous the whole message of like oh every time you post something it's time to roll my eyes no all it is is you've got a different opinion to someone else but you don't know how to formulate it into words and that results in an angry pathetic attacking message like this that's all that it is you're childish you try to say that you know people you, everyone who you talk to laughs at this person do they? So you, so you and your mum then, because that's the only person who you talk to, and that's only when you're asking her to get fetch you a sandwich down to your basement. So Kevin Hos- Hoskinson, dude, you've got our respect, you've got our love, and we're telling everyone who we know to get you followed because you are like us, you're one of us. Film Geek Society support. <laughs> if there was a support group, I'd join it. <laughs> I would. I'd be there as long as they uh, they serve cake. I, that that would be the other thing supporting other film geeks yeah but cake <laughs> makes, so, makes, a cha- makes a change for my weekly angry rant to be something positive rather than just me having a rant <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to this week's show what have we got for you coming up on this week's show we're going to be doing a deep dive not into one film but one director who sadly has left us this uh this last week in fact just after we recorded last week's show and that is we're going to be looking at the work of ivan reitman we're going to be giving you reviews on i've got a review of cyrano that lands at box office middle of next week so we get one early uh we've both seen texas chainsaw massacre which landed on netflix this week and i'm going to be reviewing the hunt which also landed on netflix Andy saw this way back when 2020 i think but i'm going to give you my views on this film we've got all our regular neat things but before any of that we've got the news so this week where's spider-man is he up against himself in uncharted is something else worming its way to the top of the box office andy you tell us you tell me well It appears that Tom Holland dominates the box office and maybe this will continue for the rest of our lives. As Spider-Man No Way Home loses its top slot this week in the US for 
Uncharted, which has opened really strongly over in the States. It was projected to open with 30 to 35 million for the weekend. It finished the weekend on 43.8 million above expectations and set it on good course to go into profit. And we'll likely see a return to this franchise in the next few years. When you combine the international takings so far on the film of 88 million, it means that it's taken back 139 million so far. Budget was around 120 million. So it's definitely going to be going into profit within the next week or so. And in second place in the US was Dog, the new release starring and directed by Channing Tatum. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home sticks into third place this week, taking 7.2 million, still rattling that money across into such a degree that in the US, it has now beaten Avatar at the all-time box office, having taken a total of 771 million in the US alone. Will it get as high as Endgame, which had 858 Unless they do a big major re-release with extra scenes, I can't see it happening. Fourth place in the US, Death on the Nile takes another 6.5 million, which puts it worldwide at 76 million so far. And in fifth place is those lads are still at it. Jackass Forever takes another 5 million, which puts it to 47 million taken in the US and 60 million worldwide. Not bad when you only spent 10 million on making a film. Here in the UK, however, Uncharted again, holds the number one spot. This is the second week because we got it early. It had a decent drop-off of 20% this week. Half-term across the country, kids' holidays, so obviously it's going to maintain some momentum. But most films get between 40 and 60% drop-off, so 20% is pretty good. In second place, Sing 2 shows the animated features about singing animals will always entice people as it retains that's second place, taking another 3.1 million. In third place, we have Death on the Nile, taking another 1.3 million for a total of 4.7 in the UK. Dog comes straight in at four with 820,000. And holding on to fifth place is Belfast, which took another 753,000 for a total of 12.9 million to date. You know, I'm genuinely, genuinely surprised. I thought it would do okay. I guess a, a, a lack of competition, but this probably means that we've got the first film in a in an Uncharted uh, series. I think the Tom Holland factor clearly helps, you know, with, yeah. with how well received the most recent Spider-Man film was. It was ideal to release Uncharted pretty swiftly in the wake of that to draw upon that Tom Holland factor. Yeah. He's a likeable, charming young man. He is indeed. <laughs> and in other news, what have we got? So uh, the Oscars that we spoke about last week now have set their hosts you remember that we said that it's uh, going to be split into kind of three acts with a different yeah. host for each of the acts. The three acts will be hosted by Amy Schumer, Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes. Two out of those three I've got a lot of time for. Can you guess who's the odd one out? And son a postcard to the film file. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll spoil it for you. you. You don't have to send it on a postcard. I don't get Amy Schumer. So I feel that that's the one hour of the show that I'm going to be going, oh, really? You see, I don't mind her. I never quite got on us, and I watched one of her stand-up specials, and I thought she was really, really clever. Um, I wouldn't go back, but I, yeah. I watched one and watched enough to think, yeah, she's, she's, she's quite clever. But Hall and Sykes have got a lot of time for, and Sykes in particular, I cannot wait for her segment. Um, and I, th I think it's, a, it's an interesting mix because it's, it's three interesting comedians from slightly different points of view to host each of the sections. It might make it more popular. It might draw the audiences back in. I'm not completely convinced of that. One thing that I don't think is going to necessarily work for drawing audiences in, have you heard about the new fan-voted category that's been announced? Yeah, and I'm assuming 
by that. Well, I'm not assuming. I, I kind of know that uh, a certain recut <laughs> four-hour version of fans have been uh, basically pushing their agenda. <laughs> I don't even look. Yes, Twitter users can now vote for their favourite film of 2021 by tweeting out the title of that film alongside hashtag Oscar fan favourite and hashtag sweepstakes. Every account can do up to 20 tweets per day, with the winner being announced during the broadcast. Now, as Lee's um, hinted at there, let's be honest, there's a certain hashtag using community who think that they're bigger than what they are out there, who will love to say, we got 1.5 million tweets in this week. It's like, yeah, but there was only 15 of you doing it with 100 each day. That's how you got 1.5 million. (laughs) They're going to be going crazy over this to try to prove to the world that their little fandom means something. And that's all that they're trying to do. They, They can't just accept that they like something personally. They have to prove to everyone else that they're right and we're wrong by doing hashtags. Good luck, guys. Mom's basement is down there. Ask her for another sandwich. Go on. I dare you. I've really got something against them this week. (laughs) You have, haven't you? I'm going to move on quickly. I'm going to talk to you about Brad Bird directing Ray Gun for Skydance Animation. Now, Brad Bird directed, for me, one of my all-time favourite animated films. And it's not The Incredibles. It is, in fact, The Iron Giant, which I absolutely adore. Uh, Brad Bird made his uh, uh, directorial debut with live action with Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol and Tomorrowland. But he's making a return to animation with Ray Gunn. Originally created nearly 30 years ago alongside Matthew Robbins is reportedly the story of the last human private detective, Raymond Gunn, in a future world of both humans and aliens as he's hired to investigate the pop singer Venus Envy to find out if she's cheating on her husband. <laughs> Sorry, the name Venus Envy just made me chuckle. <laughs> I'm suffering from Venus Envy. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> I, I, I also mispronounce me P's as V's. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. I'm a big fan of, uh, of Brad Bird's. I think his, his move into, uh, into live action wasn't necessarily underwhelming. I, I think I expected more because of, of the, yeah. the Incredibles and because of, in particular, The Iron Giant, which is, is just a classic for me, an absolute classic. I adore it. But I'm interested to see what his return to animation is going to be like. Yeah. Netflix and Take-Two Interactive are teaming up to bring the fan-favourite video game Bioshock to the service for a film and a potential franchise. There's no names attached at the moment. But the deal has been in place for apparently a year or so. So it's expected to see traction pretty swiftly and go into production. The game, which was released in 2007, for those who don't know, is set in the 1960s. And you play the survivor of a plane crash who discovers the undersea city of Rapture, an Art Deco style fallen utopia, which was the home of crazed genetic experiments. The game and its follow ups were heavily praised for the sharp storytelling, compelling characters and shock endings that still resonate today. There's been three games in the series. Each of them has been an absolute delight of storytelling, and each of them could make for a great film if handled right. I've got optimistic hope, even though no no names are attached at this point in time. I want this to be good. All they have to do is adapt the story of the game, and they've got a guaranteed winner. Beautiful games, beautiful story. Let's see how this pans out. You know, I've never played them. I've heard such good things about 
about them time and time again. And John Logan, the writer John Logan, was developing the script for years. There were mm. so so many stops and starts, even probably more than Uncharted. Uh, so I'm interested. I'm interested to see where this goes. I'm not a, an aficionado of the game. I'll be uh, interested to see it as a, from an outside point of view as opposed to Uncharted, for instance. This was good news, and it landed just after we recorded last week, and I'm so excited. Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, and the crew are returning for a new Star Trek film. It has been finally officially announced. Yes, uh, all discussions between the key cast are taking place at the moment to work out contract negotiations, how many, like, what deals they'll be getting. They're aiming for a production start later this year. And uh, Matt Shackerman is going to be directing and J.J. Abrams, obviously, producing to give us a fourth film in the Kelvin timeline. Now, obviously, there's going to be one absence on the bridge and everyone's wondering how they're going to be approaching that. Will will they broach it in one way or shape or form, or will they just carry they on with the rest should. of the crew? They need, I think they need to at least honour and reference him. But I'm excited. It's been, it has been a while. We've only had TV for Star Trek for a good few years now. Yeah, it's filled that gap. I'm so glad that not only are we going to be getting it on the big screen again, but that they're getting that cast back together again. Because it would have been a shame for them to just do a whole new Star Trek franchise on the big screen and scrap this completely. There's been several non-starters on this one. Quentin Tarantino yep. famously was connected to a, a harder-hitting version of the Star Trek story, and that looked like it was going to happen. Other writers have been uh, working on it, but it seems as though they've settled, of course, with the director, as you said, uh, One Division's Matt Shackman, but also Josh Friedman and Cameron Squires taking over from Lindsay Boer yeah. and Geneva robertson Dwyer, And reportedly, um, everybody wants to have this film and see it happen. I watched Star Trek again just the other night. Boy, I really enjoyed it. I remember you and I seeing it when it came out. We saw it together and we just had such... Uh, uh, it was such a fun. It was just a, a good old adventure movie. Uh, the second one fell apart, but I really enjoyed Star Trek Beyond. Uh, I thought that had a real throwback to the TV series. So yeah. I, I'm way up for seeing these characters come back uh, with these actors, as you said. Beyond was very much a character-driven one, and it really grew yeah. the relationship really between it. them all. Particularly the uh, McCoy and Spock relationship that really evolved on that film. Yeah, But this news came from the Paramount Investor Day announcements. Alongside this news, there was also news that even though the second film isn't here yet, Sonic 3 is officially greenlit. Um, Transformers Rise of the Beasts is now finished shooting and will debut cinemas as the first of three new installments of the franchise starting from next year. Uh, A Quiet Place 3 is in active development and is set to debut in 2025. Krasinski will be producing on this one, but this is a separate film to the already announced spin-off due next year. And in addition, movies are going to be made purely for Paramount Plus service, which include, and are not limited to, Another SpongeBob movie or two, because of course, and multiple Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles spin-offs focused on side characters and villains such as Shredder, Krang, etc. Because that seems to be the way that everyone wants to go with a franchise when you've only got a couple of characters these days. Let's create <laughs> something about something about the backstory of the villains because it works out so well. <sighs> anyway, um, but Paramount have confirmed that from 2024, all of their movies will play exclusively on Paramount Plus once they've finished their box office run. What the window will be is uncertain, but most people are speculating that the 45-day window is going to become the norm. And the Paramount Plus service is expected to roll out in the UK this summer. So, 
you'll be able to legally watch Star Trek TV shows from this summer. Yeah, I wonder how it's going to land. I've heard rumours that it's going to be part of, of a Sky package. I know that in the US, it, it tends to have its subscriber base through being bundled with other packages. So like you say, it'll be a Sky package, which will mean that it'll be included with a Now TV package as like a maybe as a small little couple of pound extra. It, apparently, it's not an expensive service to subscribe to in the US. It's one of the lowest charging services because it's a bundle deal. So right. we'll wait and see what they decide to do over here. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and uh, the ever-growing cast for that, still growing. Screams and the boys, Jack Quaid, has joined the cast alongside Matthew Modine, who's been recruited as well, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, you know, between him and um, Wes Anderson, there's no one left in Hollywood for anyone <laughs> else to play with for the next couple of years. If you get Chris Pine and Zachary Quento involved, then, you know, you, you've just, you've taken care of every movie that's shooting right now. We're, we're looking forward to Oppenheimer, and he, in the same way that we look forward to any Nolan film. Yes, he doesn't always hit the mark, and sometimes he's overblown, but I will always always be interested to see what he delivers yeah i'm never going to miss one of his films even if i walk out and feel unsatisfied but I'll, I'll never miss one this has been good news because a it's coming to the end of one of my favorite series which is better call saul and, and a film that Ooh. we absolutely adored bob odenkirk is back uh you heard that he had um a pretty bad scare with a heart attack uh, which pushed back shooting on the last season of Better Call Saul but he's back and he wants to make Nobody 2 and Bob we are in. Yes I will happily follow follow Bob beating down Russian mobsters left right and centre through as many films as he wants to do. He was so great in Nobody. The same way he's so great in everything. He's just so unassuming and he doesn't seem like a, a, a heroic, heroic role model kind of character but, man, when he kicks ass, he kicks ass. We had such a great time when we saw this, didn't we? I mean, we both walked out with stupid grins on our face. And I, it's one of the first films in a long time that when it came out on Blu-ray, I pre-ordered it. I was looking forward to seeing it again yeah. so, so much. Because we're not seeing Peacemaker right now, when will we see Peacemaker in the UK? Who knows? But um, John Senna has moved on, even though there's a uh, season two in the works, and he's starring in Coyote versus acne which i love the time <laughs> i cannot wait for this just the whole concept of it is great it's a live action animation hybrid movie and it's been a good few years getting discussed in various stages of development and it's basically a down on his luck attorney takes wiley coyote as a client as he launches a lawsuit against acme over defective products and soon the lawyer finds out that his boss from his former firm who's going to be played by cena is representing acme this is beautiful if you're going to make a live-action animation hybrid Warner Brothers comedy movie, why not have it be in a courtroom drama with Wile E. Coyote? <laughs> I know. Who would have saw that one come in? Um, Acme just is one of those words that whenever I hear it, it just makes me smile. It takes me back to <laughs> a childhood of watching uh, Looney Tunes. And, and I'm still a massive Warner Brothers cartoon fan. The, the originals yeah. are, are great. I used to have loads of them on. Do you remember this? VHS. Oh, VHS. On a VHS, so... That takes me back. Doing a landfill now <laughs> somewhere. The film's going to be getting directed by Dave Green, who gave us TMNT Out of the Shadows. Mm, okay, I'll forgive him for that because Michael Bay was producing. Okay, uh, Tom Hanks, Robert Zemeckis, and Eric Roth are reteaming. The people who brought us uh, Forrest Gump, and yes, life is sometimes like a box of chocolates, 
as long as as long as you avoid the hard centers and avoid the nuts <laughs> we <We've been laughs> are set to work together again on here a film adaptation of the much loved graphic novel by richard mcguire it was originally published as a six page comic strip way back in the heady days of 1989 before being turned into a full graphic novel uh, decades later it's a high concept story that focuses on, on one single room telling its internet telling its interconnected overlapping stories of the many people who have inhabited said room over thousands of years those names getting back together again you know what that some people are like I, th- I think some people misunderstand what Forrest Gump was some people are very sneery towards it going oh life is like a box of chocolates like it's a it's a satire it's a dark satire watch the film properly so just those names together again you know what I'm in I'm in straight away so yeah we'll we'll look up, look forward to that Nathan Lane, Megan Mullally, Bowen Yang, and Megan Thee Stallion will star in an R-rated musical comedy for A24 called Effing Identical Twins. <laughs> um, you had me with Nathan Lane. <laughs> it's being called a subversive spin on the parent trap, and it's adapted from comedians Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp's two-man stage show. The pair are going to pen the script and co-star as the twins of the title. It features original songs by Jackson Sharp and composer Carl St. Lucie. The story will follow two business adversaries who realise that they're identical twin brothers. So they switch places in order to reunite their divorced parents and become a family again. But it's going to have saucier elements to it than just the parent trap. Uh, Borat Helmer Larry Charles is going to direct. So I think we know what to expect now. (laughs) Our production (laughs) is currently underway. I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Nathan Lane's always a delight to watch. Yeah, yeah. In everything that he's, uh, everything that he's in, I, I, um, he's just one of those actors that I'm, I'm drawn to. I think he's fantastic in everything. He yeah, does. We, we we've already spoken last year about how the Chinese market is quite lucrative when it comes to box office, but they've been restricting how many US titles play there each year. Indeed, only 20 US titles got a Chinese release last year. So it's it's critical for films to get that Chinese distribution which means it's good news for Death on the Nile, which just opened this week in China, which should see a bit of a surge of um, box office from there. But it's definitely good news for Batman and Uncharted that will be some of those lucky few US titles to get those extra numbers from the Chinese releases. The Uncharted Chinese release will not be until next month. Uh, It's going to be in a few more weeks. But delayed releases never seem to impact the Chinese box office. They still make the same amount of money. And Batman will be coming out a week or two after it comes out elsewhere in the world. Again, it's just going to be great news for seeing that that's week two, week three surge internationally as the Chinese market opens up. Aside from that, there's been quite a few trailers dropped over this past week and a half. There has been a lot of trailer drops over this, this last week. Obviously, there was the Super Bowl, so there was a few that came from there, and there's a few that I'd just like to touch on. Okay. Is one of those going to be Doctor Strange? I think it has to be. I think think we should start with that Doctor Strange trailer, because we've already seen one Doctor Strange trailer. It's the one that plays at the end of No Way Home. Spoiler alert for those who've not watched No Way Home yet, but really, you can't be that big of a fan. That one... I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm loving it. On the side note, I'm loving at the moment when there's still people watching No Way Home and they watch the mid credit scene and then they stick around for the end credit scene and then you look at the look of disappointment on the face when they realise <laughs> it's just a trailer that they can watch on YouTube. Yeah, none more as disappointing than uh, the second Ant-Man <laughs> film where you waited and waited and it was basically <laughs> an ant playing drums. But this second trailer for Doctor Strange, man, that's it. I don't need anything else. I, I You can spoon feed that into my eyeballs for all I care. I am ready. Um, it, it it showed a lot without 
with that clever thing <laughs> of not telling you an awful lot. There was yes. a, a lot on display without very little being explained. There's a lot to dissect. I mean, uh, comic fanboys like myself and uh, I'm unlikely will be looking at the scenes of Strange being led by Ultron drones into a large chamber with five or six thrones and wondering, is this the Illuminati? And then you hear a voice, a particular voice, a Patrick Stewart voice, and you see the back of a bald head and you go, is this how they get mutants into the MCU? And then you start to wonder, who's on the other chairs? Are we going to see Black Bolt reprised? Are we going to see the first glimpses of Reed Richards? The Illuminati, for those who don't know, because you've never read comics, and, you know, I don't blame you, but go on, get yourself some comic books, treat yourself. Um, don't, don't treat yourself on me, I'm not paying for it. But the Illuminati is, it's basically a group of the sharpest minds in the Marvel Universe who try to def try to protect the world from breakdowns and barriers between multiverses. And so it makes sense for them to be part of this. Now, whether this is a cross-multiverse version of it, where they've taken one character, like your, your Charles Xavier from this universe, and then you've taken a Reed Richards from that universe, we don't know. But there's enough in that trailer to just make any fanboys of comics to just start squeeing with delight. Then you've got the the flaming like figure smashing through like enemies, and you're just like, I can't make out who it is. And so people have speculated it's Monica Rambo. People have speculated right. it's another version of Iron Man, possibly with Tom Cruise playing it. Who knows? People are just speculating left, right, and center because there's like you say, they've teased stuff without revealing stuff. And this is what I love about Marvel with their trailers. You think after watching this trailer, you've pretty much seen the film. Really, you've not seen what's going to be almost a two hours 50 film by the looks of it. Yeah. You've you've only seen glimpses and you've seen the smart glimpses that they want to entice you with. We've seen it in the past, Infinity War, when it had the Hulk thundering into fight and then the yeah. Hulk wasn't in the film. Marvel misdirect us. So don't take it all at face value, but take the take the gist of it. I was going to say that the setup on No Way Home always gave the impression that the big end scene was going to be all the villains appearing then. Yeah. And, and that happens at the end of the first act. So, yeah, misdirection is 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 what they're pretty good at and keeping secret. So, um, yeah, it looked fabulous. Uh, so much to dissect. It's going to take several watches. <laughs> or do I just wait and see the film? Uh, a trailer that caught my attention. I'm interested about this. I'm, uh, uh, I'm not overly sold, but Baz Luhrmann's Elvis trailer promises to... Uh, to be quite revealing and it was interesting to see tom hanks playing the colonel yep. so uh that i thought looked absolutely superb but of course it will look superb because it's baz Luhrmann. a trailer that definitely caught my attention even though i don't know what's going on in it is nope jordan peele's next one yes that was that was my my next one <laughs> and apparently nope is uh, it stands for something? Do you know what it stands for? So apparently, nope. This is only a, a, a fan take, but stands for something not of planet Earth. Yeah, all that we know from the trailer. I mean, the trailer starts off looking like a subdued film about the presence of black people within filmmaking history. Yeah, and like it's set on a ranch, and like the, the descendants of like people who created that first motion picture of the the rider on the horse. And you're thinking, okay, he's going for like a, a low-key approach. And then all of a sudden it turns into what looks like an alien invasion film. It's like, oh, oh, it's Jordan Peele. Sorry, completely forgot for a second it was going to be Jordan Peele. Of course he's going to be going all weird. And it just looks great. It looks well shot. It looks exactly what you, we expect from Jordan Peele. Can't wait. Yeah, I was highly, highly intrigued by it. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Yeah, which you know I hate that title. <laughs> 
But they are the rings of power. I know, but it's not a great title. Now, the trailer teased us with some glimpses of this pre-Lord of the Rings era. We got teasers of characters. We got the looks and the styles. But it's caused a lot of um, backlash from some... Well, I'm going to say some guys who are sat in the basements asking their mom for another sandwich. I uh, don't know whether you've caught any of the backlash. No, I've not at all. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not inclined to sort of, I don't get involved. I'll give you a multiple choice. Do you think the backlash is because A, it's going against Tolkien's works by creating new stories? B, it's got black people playing elves? Or C, the CGI isn't that good? Which of those three options do you think they've gone for? I, I'm potentially going to go for all of the above, but I, I think I think the second one. Yes. Loads of people who are trying to claim that the huge Tolkien fans are getting so upset because it's got black elves and dwarves and how dare they. And it's also represented female dwarves as well because uh, they never had female dwarves in the books. It's like, no, they referred to them, but they've never shown them. Why can't they show them in anything else? Tolkien himself, and I, I haven't dug out the full quote, but he had a quote from way back in the past when he said that he created all the foundation, the backstory, and fleshed out the like mythology of the worlds so that other people could play in that arena. And that's what right. they're doing. But obviously, these huge Tolkien fanboys, and by that, I mean, they've lo- watched the Lord of the Rings films, and that's about it, <laughs> are now saying that these this series is going to be an abomination purely because it's got black people in it. Yeah, because fictional characters yeah. in a fictional world aren't. <laughs> always white yeah there's also a, there's also been a small group of people who've moaned that Gladriel is shown like wearing armor and entering battle it's like yeah this is set well before lord of the rings and she was a warrior maiden it's 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 part of tolkien law you're trying to claim that you know the history but you've clearly only ever read lord of the rings if that and the appendices in there try digging out all the 13 volumes of the histories of middle earth and then get back to me and i'll love to talk this through with you you see this is why i don't engage with them i don't feed the trolls i try and avoid them i do i don't it just annoys me as as we said before (laughs) it just annoys me um another trailer which caught my attention i don't know much about it uh starring sebastian stan and daisy edgar and that's for um a kind of horror film i think that looks at sort of modern dating and that's fresh know very little about it but the trailer is well worth giving it a view and if you've caught sebastian stan other than playing uh, Bucky Barnes and, for instance, uh, Pam Atomic, then the guy's really got some chops on him and he's doing some good work. And the last trailer that I want to talk about, uh, I mean, of course, I can't stop talking about trailers until I've mentioned Ryan Reynolds in The Adam Project. No, I've not seen that one. Uh, I mean, this is the one where he's a time traveller who travels back in time to meet himself as a youngster, age 12, and they must work together to try to prevent a disaster from happening in the future. It sounds like it's going to be wacky caper, uh, like sci-fi comedy. But the trailer looks quite heartfelt and quite charming as well. And that's for Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely one to keep a lookout for and it's coming out soon. I'm excited to line that one up on my TV. And that is this week's The News. This is the part in the show which has been tested by scientists to know that people walk away and make a cup of tea. Stop. Keep listening because we want you to subscribe to The Film File if you don't already do so. Head over to your favourite podcast platform, check out The Film File, hit that subscribe button, and remember, please remember to leave a like. If you want to know more about The Film File, and there is so much more to know, you can. Head on over to Twitter, follow us at Film File UK. Head on over to other social media platforms, look for Film File UK. There we are. Or you can drop us an email 
and I will get back to you, even if it's an angry email telling me how my opinion's worthless and how dare I like Peacemaker. I like Peacemaker, by the way. <laughs> Fire that email over. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, that's podcast at filmfile.uk. Uh, you mentioned something about, you mentioned like an analysis by scientists and researchers. It just reminded yeah. me that there was another research this week that ca- caught my attention. Uh, apparently, researchers have discovered that the more attractive someone is, the less chance there is of them catching diseases. They've they've done a survey where they got loads of well, people. Well, that's to grade, clearly false. They degraded people on their looks. Right, look 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 through loads of pictures. Grade everyone on their looks, and they had the medical records and the blood histories of each of the people who were in the pictures, and they discovered a correlation between what people find attractive to what which of those people actually contracted diseases so i'd just like to say still not caught covid and now you know why because i'm just so freaking good looking and i've had it twice <laughs> but i was once described as a not quite as good looking jude law <laughs> you'll let that ring out without comment i can kind of see that now <laughs> so as you know every show we do a deep dive and instead of doing a deep dive into one particular film we're going to be doing a deep dive into the work of Ivan Reitman, who sadly passed away just as we'd finished recording last week's show. So in honor of Ivan Reitman, let's talk about the great man's work. You know, I, I'm going to throw at you something you probably get each and every day. Stripes, Meatballs, Ghostbusters, these are the movies that formed my life. I based my whole life on their teachings. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, How does I, it make you feel knowing that you really have shaped generations? Well, it, it's it's really gratifying and it, it really well gets to me emotionally. I um, I feel I'm really lucky. I'm feeling, I was lucky to tell these good stories and that people sort of seem to still remember and still want to go see and allow me to make others. And I'm really lucky because I have wonderful children, you know, that are kind of carrying on this tradition. Sure. Jason and Catherine crushing it. Yes, yes, that's right. Jason's right now in Calgary, Alberta. Um, Directing the new Ghostbusters, I'm I'm heading back up there tomorrow, and um, I've been on the set with him, you know, most of the last two months, and he's done a, doing an extraordinary job. Congrats on the great kids and the great movies. Thank you, thanks, sir. Thanks so much for time. As I said, Ivan Reitman passed away last week at the age of 75, and he left behind him a remarkable career, especially in the genre of cinematic comedies. He was born in 1946 in Czechoslovakia and was the son of an Auschwitz survivor and a member of the Czech resistance. He moved to the States in 1954 to escape the post-war communist regime and was raised in Toronto, Canada. He attended Hamilton McCaster University where he started making short films. It was where he met a bevy of talented upcoming performers such as Eugene Levy, Rick Moranis and Martin Short. Upon returning to Toronto, he was hired by one Dan Aykroyd to work on a comedy show Reitman was producing for a local TV station, and the two became fast friends and lifelong collaborators. Reitman's first film as a director and producer was 1971's Foxy Lady, but he's better known for the horror spoof Cannibal Girls, which shows up on the marquee in both Ghostbusters 2 and Ghostbusters Afterlife. It starred Levy, Andrea Martin, and several other Reitman's regulars. In 1978, he moved into producing and produced a film that turned into a classic and turned into a subgenre all its own, and that was National Lampoon's Animal House. The originator of the frat boy comedies. Yep, yeah, directed by John Landis, but he has formed the partnership 
of Reitman with the writer, the great late Harold Ramis. The team up with Ramis led to probably what is the, the pinnacle of Reitman's legacy. As he went into screwball comedies such as Meatballs, then you had The Magnificent Stripes. Now, Stripes is a film that tends to get overlooked oh, I love it. by I a love lot it of so people. Much. And it came out a year after Private Benjamin, which had kind of done the similar kind of approach. But Stripes is the one that laid down a load of the tropes of the losers out of their element comedies that would follow. And anyone who's a fan of the Police Academy series, if you've not watched Stripes, which is the template which Police Academy decided to rip on, you're missing out immensely. Bill Murray is fantastic as you would expect. But everyone just comes together so perfectly in Stripes. And even though Ghostbusters was the one that introduced me to Reitman, and that came after Stripes, the success of Stripes obviously led to the gang getting together and uh, coming up with that Ghostbusters thing. But Stripes was a joy to track down during the VHS age. Once I was aware of Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and Ivan Reitman, it was like, but there's this film that came out earlier. What's this like? Boom. Loved it. Yes, the template that he'd done had been done decades earlier with Carry On Sergeant, but come on, Stripes is the defining one. It showcased at the start of the 80s what Reitman, Murray and Ramis could do. And then we got, in 1984, it was everywhere, it's still everywhere, Ghostbusters. The impact of Ghostbusters when it came out was huge. As in 1984, I would have been 11 when this film came out. And you couldn't avoid the logo, which seems so cool. The theme tune that was so cool. Any magazines that had shots of them firing their blasters look so cool. Shots of Slimer all look so cool. A giant marshmallow man. Wow, I need to see this film. And everyone flocked to see it. Toys, games, magazines, Ghostbusters was everywhere. It captured the imaginations of everyone young and old. And Reitman, his, his whole stamp is on it in the style that it does, but it showcased what he could do when collaborating with people of an equally zany mind. That's right. He reteamed with his uh, lifelong friend, Dan Aykroyd, who um, basically put the script together to star him and his Blues Brothers brother, John Belushi, who sadly died before it saw any development. And Reitman, Reitman did something fantastic with this film. He took big scale special effects. He took comedians such as Murray and Ramis and Aykroyd and even Ernie Hudson. And he made one of the most influential comedies of all time, really. Oh. Uh, a film that that really does fit the candidate of, of classic. The, the team returned for a sequel in 1989's Ghostbusters 2, which has its fans, I know, but it didn't have the same impact and it didn't have the same heart. Uh, after that, uh, Reitman went on to direct and produced the likes of Dave, which is fantastic, Beethoven, Twins, the much underappreciated heavy metal animated film, Evolution, which he directed, which was kind of a throwback to Ghostbusters to a degree, Kindergarten Cop, Junior, produced Old School, Up in the Air, Draft Day, and most recently produced Ghostbusters Afterlife, which sees his filmmaking son, Jason, continuing the story. Chatting with people at work, it surprised how many people didn't realise that Ivan Reitman was responsible for three of Arnold Schwarzenegger's lighter comedies in the late 80s, early 90s. You've already mentioned Kindergarten Cop, there's Junior, which wasn't very well received, but there's also Twins, which yeah, everyone of kind of forgets. That was a film that the critics didn't like. The critics didn't like most of his product after Ghostbusters. They, you know, he'd be lucky if he'd scrape 50% worth of critics liking his stuff. 
But one critic who always seemed to love Reitman's work was um, the the beloved and respected uh, Roger Ebert, who always gave thumbs up. And he gave a thumbs up on Kindergarten Cop while all the critics were going, it's a bit muddled. And that film was a success. He gave his thumbs up on Twins when all the other critics were going, Danny DeVito's good, but Arnie's not great in this role. And it was a huge success. So people were clearly listening to significant critics back then. And you know what? I kind of agree with him. I mean, Kindergarten Cop and Twins aren't great films, but they're likable and charming. And they're made that way because of how well Reitman could handle those kind of scripts. I mean, Kindergarten Cop is two films mashed into one, but it works. It strangely works. Um, Evolution, which I've mentioned, I I love Evolution. Right. It was it was Ghostbusters with aliens. And, yeah, yeah, and I I love the whole, uh, yeah, the casting. David Duchovny is, you know, fresh from his X-Files years, is playing, he's basically playing the, the Bill Murray character. Then you've got Orlando Jones, who is hilarious throughout. Um, I'll never ask for ice cream the same way ever again. And Sean William Scott, who was riding a, you know, riding a success from the American Pie films at that point in time and starting to branch out. And he just fits well in the team. Then you throw in Julianne Moore, who's always a delight to watch on screen. and. I just lapped this up. I rewatched this last year and I still love it. I can still chuckle along with it. And yes, the whole film is basically a 101 minute advert for head and shoulders shampoo. But <laughs> you know what? If you're going to, if you're going to do product placement in such a, such a cynical way, why not? <laughs> I think the thing we've got to say about Reitman's career is that he created subgenres of films. He created the big special effects uh, blockbuster comedy, which had never really been done on such a scale before. He created the big stars of the time from Saturday Night Live, the vehicle starring Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Mm. He created the subgenre of the uh, of the college comedy. Uh, and did it better than anyone else with uh, National Lampoon's Animal House. Um, He was an innovator, um, but he was a populist at the same time, made popular films, and when they hit, they hit just right. Uh, It's been a a, a glorious career, and his son, Jason, has now gone on to do... um, Followed down the, the the family route, I guess, with, with Ghostbusters and Afterlife, but went out and carved a career very much his own with, with his own sort of signature mm. of the films that he makes. But what a career. Uh, and you know what? There's probably one Ivan Reitman film in everybody's film top 10. It's nice that he got to see his Ghostbusters legacy restored to the big screen by his son last year yeah. and warmly embraced by the community out there because... Yeah, this is a decades-old legacy of films that had such such impact on people, people of our generation. And to see it revisited on the screen and brought to new life and bringing in new audiences, I'm pleased that Ivan got to see that come to fruition. Before he passed away, there was work still ha- happening on um, his sequel to Twins called Triplets. Now, this has been in the pipeline since 2012. Yeah. Last year, that we reported that Tracy Morgan was signing up to play the Triplet. He was going to play the other brother that gets introduced to it. Where this film will go now, who will pick it up from this point, whether it will actually still go ahead remains to be seen. But the legacy that Reitman leaves behind will never be forgotten. These are some beloved films and some cult classics that everyone should check out. Do not be surprised if at some point we revisit some of these films in their own deep dive. Absolutely. And that's our tribute to the late, great producer-director Ivan Reitman who passed away just last week. Okay, so we've both seen a 
couple of films this week, surprisingly <laughs> on the trot for seeing two of, of the same movie. I, you know, after Uncharted last week, Andy and I are both going to be reviewing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 style. This is hardesty. I'm afraid your old friend's back. Fifty years I've been waiting for this night. Just to see him again. Who? Leatherface. Looks like it's you that he wants. I'm not gonna let him kill you. Fear no evil. Fear no evil. So, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film that landed on Netflix is only titled Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's a sequel, yes, a sequel, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because someone clearly watched Halloween a few years ago and thought, hey, we can do that with Texas Chainsaw, only not as good. Yeah, they kind of forgot everything else. Um, Let's have a think. There was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, um, which has got one of the best review lines ever for me, which just goes along and and I'm misquoting. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, directed by somebody who doesn't know how to direct and has not even seen the first film, and is still (laughs) Toby Who. <laughs> uh, the story on this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that a group of youths who are social influencers have bought the old house that all the all the brutality took place in, in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The original events of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are referred to via documentaries and news reports and it being so long and that, that Leatherface was never found. They moved to this now ghost town community encounter a few of the abrupt locals and after things go disastrously wrong leading to an old lady suffering a heart attack things then just get a bit gory and a bit bloody as Leatherface returns pinning a new mask on his face and finding his chainsaw to wield and hack and slash loads of social influencers. Now, we commented last week <laughs> we when did. we said this film was going to come out. And it rang through <laughs> my head every time these characters were on screen. And I do want to say that I thought, you know, the cast were pretty good and gave it their all on this one. And and um, I and I thought they kind of elevated a, a lot of it from, from just being the usual sort of let's cut down some, some teenagers. The film is gory and brutal. If that's your bag, then step right up and enjoy the carnage that goes on because there's one scene in particular in which You're there's gonna say the bus scene, aren't you? heads, guts, entrails flying left, right and centre. Yes, the bus scene. There's a party bus moment and the party bus moment is good for the effects wise but it's also shockingly representative of the worst moments of this film because there's a point in it which tries to be smart and funny and witty about cancel culture with everyone on the party bus, because they're all influencers, starting up their Instagram streamings and recording and going, dude, if you try anything, you're so cancelled. And that was the point at which I went, oh, what am I watching? (laughs) And there's comments coming up from people who are following them that are not believing anything that's happening. And it made me just think, there was a film two years ago called Spree. had Joe Keery in it. And it did that element so much better. And it made me want to watch Spree. Now, when one film makes you want to watch a completely different film, 
that's where that original film has let you down because it lost my interest at that point because I was starting to think of how good another film was. The body count is high. I mean, this is yeah, bloody Yeah, there was, there was lots of claret and lots of brutal deaths. But I just found it unengaging and it suffered from the exact same things that every Texas Chainsaw sequel and spin-off has ever suffered from. And it's what you commented before of like with that old review that someone who's never seen the original film, because it's quite clear that like the people who put this together don't really understand the first film because the first Texas Chainsaw film had hardly any blood. Yeah, it's it's really gore-free. Yeah. And that's not what's the scary element of, of that film. It's not the, the, the chainsaw. Yeah, the chainsaw was a minor element of the whole film. But every sequel and every new version has always fetishized the chainsaw as though it's some mythical power weapon that as soon as Leatherface picks it up, he becomes a, an immortal demon, like trying to harvest souls. And that's missing the point completely. If this wasn't a Texas Chainsaw film and it was named something different, then yes, it's a it's an entertaining, generic, gory body horror film. But as a Texas Chainsaw film, it's terrible. And even throwing in the survivor of the original film, Sally Hardesty, here played by Olwen Fuhr, it just feels like a forced attempt, like I said, to emulate what the Halloween series did recently by going back to the original cast and throwing them in. It's a requel done wrong. We're using the word requel these days because Scream has had such an impact on me, but it's a requel done wrong because it misses everything that the Texas Chainsaw film was about. Yeah, I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and and, and famously when, when they were trying to cut the film when it came out, it's 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 a hard film it was a hard film to to re-edit. This is when uh, the British board certificate would, were having a, a frenzy over so-called video nasties because there isn't a lot of blood in it, but there is this unending sense of terror and and the character screaming all the way through, uh, and it just never subsides. And it's a relentless film, and that's what people forget about that movie. It's not about lots and lots of claret and gore. It is about the the relentless terror i think the 2003 version was a better remake or mm. a better texas chainsaw massacre film than this is uh, and stayed truer to the the idea of the original film and, and i i'm not i've got a huge amount of love for it but i do think it's a stronger film and and captures the essence much more of what toby hooper did that first time round. but ultimately if you're a, you're a horror fan there's plenty of gore uh, and plenty of horrific scenes in there. Ultimately, it just falls flat. It just falls apart as though a chainsaw has ripped through it. I'll let you have that one in. <laughs> next up, Andy, what you got? So next up, I've got Cyrano. Joe Wright's take on the classic tale, which gives it a musical makeover, lavish costume design, and results in a slightly different, albeit faithful, feel to the proceedings that just about works. You've made this stage your personal style. The dramatic muse has fled the building. She scampered off when you started gilding. The lily with your great big voice. The poor muse had no choice. I love this place and all it means. Poetry, romance, terror, truth. I've loved it here since early youth. Can't stand aside while you dishonor it with your pumping and your hideous jigs. I will not abide your thumping and uh, dreadful wigs. <laughs> Once learn you've abandoned the truth, you've lost your core. You don't remember how truth feels or what it's for. 
So now leave this stage never to return, and I'll applaud the new integrity you'll earn. Exit Montgomery. Cyrano de Bergerac was an 1897 play by Edmund Rostand and has seen a plethora of adaptations to film through the years, including, but not limited to, the classic 1950 Jose Ferrer version, the 1990 Gerard Depardieu version, and even Steve Martin's Roxanne, and many, many more, including films inspired by, though not directly linked to, such as the 80s cult classic Electric Dreams. It's such a familiar tale that there really isn't anything that you can surprise people with in a new adaptation. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a reason why I love every version of this film that I've seen. And that's simply because it's such a timeless story. It's a story of love as we follow the tale of Cyrano, an intelligent and wealthy and ambitious man who pines for the affections of the beautiful Roxanne, but feels that his physical appearance would never allow her to love anyone like him in return. Roxanne falls for another man named Christian, and Cyrano offers to help the man with his poetry and letters so that he can woo and charm Roxanne how she deserves to be wooed and charmed. That way, both of them get to love her, and she gets to love both of them in return. And like I say, it's such a familiar tale that there's nothing really to surprise with. So the film adds musical flair instead to the proceedings, which the music on offer sometimes works really well. One of the standout moments of most of the adaptations has been the dueling battle, which in the classic tradition style of it is an actual fencing duel while insults are getting hurled at each other. And in the Steve Martin one, it was a dueling wits as they banter backwards and forwards. And it always ends up with him refer, you know, in the classic version where Cyrano has the large nose, he'd refer to like all nose gags, etc. In this, adding the music in gives it an almost rap battle-esque feeling to the whole proceedings. And whilst it's still got the fencing and the dueling, and it is quite brutal at times, it adds a levity to it and it's charming and it's fun. Sometimes some of the music feels a little forced, but overall it's engaging and keeps the basic tale intact. And it's a fine tale represented with some fine acting. All of the cast are on great form. The costumes are lavish and the location shots are gorgeous and really complement the whole proceedings. But this is Peter Dinklage's film. Peter Dinklage is front and centre in a fantastic portrayal of the character of Cyrano de Bergerac. This isn't the best of the Cyrano de Bergerac adaptations to date. It's a good adaptation. It's a bit uneven at times, but it's faithful enough and it plays well enough to capture it. But it all is helped by Dinklage, who is front and centre and an absolutely mesmerising presence. Worth watching, particularly if you're a fan of the story already. I quite fancy this. The the thing that's putting me off, is, and, I, and I love the idea of Peter Dinklage playing uh, Cyrano de Bergerac and, and the take on that, it's the idea that it's a musical because, let's be honest, they didn't sell it as a musical when you see the trailers. There's one song that kind of appears in it yeah, and it kind of throws me out of it because I, I thought this was going to be an interesting take on Cyrano. What else have we got, Andy? I've also seen a film called Fistful of Vengeance. Now, I was completely unaware that this film was a spin-off of the Wu Assassin's short-lived TV series that I've never watched. But thankfully, I didn't need to watch the series because the first 20 minutes shoehorned in so much plot exposition that I was caught up to date 
in no time at all. It stars Aiko Uwais, uh, Lewis Tan, Lawrence Cow, Juju Chan, and Pearl Fusi. And it's an uneven film, somewhat crippled by the shoehorned exposition dump, but it has mythical martial arts techniques as they're hunting down rogue spirits inhabiting bodies and it packs punches and it's got some great moments it's not a nice little nod throwback to well we spoke about them when we did our deep dive into martial arts films that mythical martial arts kind of approach but set in a modern day world it's fun it just about just about gets a thumbs up from me just about even though it did feel a bit uneven and I did get the idea by the end of it that I can understand why it only had one season of the We're Assassins TV show. Uh, A film that got a big thumbs up from me landed on Netflix and you reviewed this back in 2020 because it it, it died in the States. It died for two reasons. One, that it unfortunately got released at the same time as as the COVID epidemic was hitting and got pulled from cinemas. Uh, In fact, so much so, the the advertising poster saying the film that you never would get to see or something along those lines. And then Trump referenced it and and it grew some sort of notoriety out of that. And, And that's The Hunt. This business is incredible. I can't argue with that. What is happening? What is all of this? We hunt human beings for sport. <laughs> Why they did not? A bunch of normal folk like us. Oh my God. Seems so personal. You must have done something to these people. You one of them? They're playing you! Everyone is lying. Directed by Craig Zobel and written by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof. Now, I'm quickly going to address Damon Lindelof's involvement in this. To start with, I like Lindelof's writing. Lots of fans of, of genre could have poo-poo him as, as a non-writer, and, and, I, and I think that's that's wrong. Yes, he, he wrote Lost, and, and, and Lost did write itself into a corner, but a little bit like Game of Thrones, you stuck with it for so long that no matter what they were going to do was going to be disappointing, and the choices they made were the choices that they wanted to make the writers. And I have no reason to doubt that no matter what they'd have done, people would have been disappointed. He also created the amazing Leftovers TV series, which was stunning. And let's not forget the Watchmen series, which was just a a billion times better than what anybody expected it. So yeah, he did Cowboys and Aliens. You know what? It's not a bad film. Yes, he did Prometheus, but his writing on Prometheus wasn't the fault of the movie. But with The Hunt, he's gone down a low-budget Bloomhouse movie, which takes 12 strangers who work up in a clearing. They don't know why they're there, who each other are, how they got there. They don't even know at this point why they've been chosen. But we know very early on that they're there for one reason and one reason only, and they are to be hunted. And the film is one of those films that annoys everyone for the right reasons. It annoys those on the right of American politics who go, this is a film about uh, elitists taking on deplorables. And then there's the left side of it going, this is this is a dreadful film about dreadful people doing dreadful things and, uh, and, and it's just shamedly uh, bashing liberals. It bashes everybody. And that's what I like of it. The movie does have, and, and which is you get no idea from this from the uh, from the trailer, but his movie about liberals killing conservatives. Then yes, it kind of is. But then you've got conservatives kill, killing liberals, and both parties are just hugely exaggerated to the point of being stereotypes. And that's what this film attacks and does it with some great action sequences, an awful lot of humour, a lot of claret. 
in there. People don't just die. They get blown apart, shot to death, exploded, driven over, you name it, then people are going to get killed with it. But it says something about the state of politics, how two parties become worlds apart. And I've just got to point out how great, and I can't really remember seeing Betty Gilpin in a, in a lead role, but how phenomenal she is as the lead character, Crystal. Got to say, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm really pleased that I had a chance to catch up with The Hunt. If you've not had a chance to see it, it's now on Netflix. Yeah, thoroughly recommended it back when I covered it. It's thoroughly recommended again. It's well worth a a visit. It's well worth a revisit. And I plan to revisit this within the next week now it's landed on Netflix. It's the political satire that it takes where it flips the political ideologies, but makes it believably flipped that you can see why they're acting differently to what their ideology would be. It's sharp, and that's what makes it work. So that's our reviews. Uh, Andy, what lands over the next week? So I've reviewed it already, but Cyrano lands at cinemas this week. In addition, The Duke, which uh, looks quite a charming British comedy um, about an art thief, uh, lands this weekend. And The Godfather, 50th anniversary, has limited cinema release over the next week. So check your local listings, see if you can get some tickets for that, because they're selling fast. You know, I've never seen The the Godfather on the big screen. This would be the perfect opportunity for me to see it. Perfect opportunity. Over on streaming, Now TV and Sky sees The Desperate Hour, which has Naomi Watts playing Amy Carr, who's out for what should have been a restorative morning run. When a friend calls with terrifying news, authorities are in pursuit of an active shooter and her teenage son, Noah, may be caught in the middle. Uh, There's Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. Ben Wheatley being as divisive as ever with this latest horror. I quite liked it. Mm, I didn't. He's very divisive in the way that he's approaching films. Give it a shot. You never know. You might be one of those people who does like it. Aside from that, there's not a lot that's caught my attention streaming wise. I guess that's about it for this week's show. But, as ever, before we go, let's end with our neat things. Something over the week that either of us have enjoyed, whether it's a movie, a TV series, something to eat, you name it, we'll talk about it as our neat thing. Andy, what's your neat thing? So, this week, after many, many months of not subscribing to it, I restored my subscription to Audible. Uh, I got one of those emails, it was like, oh, please come back to us, you can have it for half price for three months. It was like, oh, go on then. The reason why I stopped... Uh, me Audible subscription is I kind of had a backlog of books that I hadn't listened to because I got distracted and it's going to happen again. And the reason I got distracted is exactly what's happened this week. They've got so many podcasts and series (laughs) on there for free that I ended up spending all my time listening to them. So I cancelled me Audible Audible subscription to catch up on the books that I'd spent on. And then I just kind of forgot to reinitialize it. I've reinitialized it this week. Straight away, added in your recommendation, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Sandman. And I've not listened to it. You know why? Because there's two more Stephen Fry podcasts out there. (laughs) And I've started listening to Stephen Fry's Inside Your Mind. Now, let me just get this out the way. I could listen to Stephen Fry read the phone book. He has such an engaging voice and his victorian secrets i absolutely loved all of his things that he's done on audible i've absolutely loved and i've learned so much because i find that he's one of those voices as well that you don't get distracted by other things while you're listening to you feel engaged with him he's so good at communicating and with stephen fry's inside your mind it's a 12-part series exploring our understanding of how the human brain and indeed animal brains work and it's fascinating it's historically insightful it's scientifically curious 
and that's it. I know that I'm going to be working up through all of this. And then I'll go on to the Stephen Fry's Edwardian Secret series. And by the time I've listened to all of these, I'll have another Audible credit to spend on another book that I'll get and inevitably not listen to because <laughs> I'll be listening to the next podcast by a celebrity that is on there. Yes, Audible is great. You pay $7.99 a month. You get one free credit each month. You can listen to one free book each month as a result and add it to your library. But it's the podcasts out there, the podcasts that they've got with some really good names that make it more than worthwhile spending that $7.99 a month. So my, my neat thing is kind of Audible, Kind of Stephen Fry's inside your mind. It's kind of everything that Audible offers. Get onto it. Lee's not wrong when he says that it, you know it's worth subscribing to over the past few episodes when he's been recommending more and more Audible stuff. Get on Audible and start learning and enhancing your experience. I've I've just done what you've done though. I've had to I've had to stop. I've had to cancel <laughs> for now because I've got a, a backlog of books and I've just taken Sandman part two sandman's over 12 hours i'm not even halfway through series one yet and it's fantastic uh, i've got another stephen king book to go after that there will end up just being a backlog so i'd rather stop now stop paying for it come back when i'm when i'm ready for the for the next set of books there's some audio books that i've deliberately not picked up over the over the time of subscribing simply because the runtime would take me forever to get through. Yeah. Uh, things like uh, Clive Barker's uh, Weave World is about yes. 41 hours. <laughs> so that's a month and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I I, I listen to it uh, on, on my drive into work. So it, it's, you know, I get a, a, a good two hours out of it every day. But, I, you know, at some point, I, I, I'm just building up a backlog. Yeah. Um, my neat things um, is going to be an odd one this week because ultimately – it's not a neat thing. It's a, it's kind of the polar opposite of a neat thing. So I'm trying to frame this in a way that it's, that it is kind of neat, which is a retrospective neat. Stay with me. You'll, you'll understand. So, uh, as you may or may not have heard this week, the great comiXology has, as we know, got taken over by Amazon has redesigned itself to fit in more with Amazon. And it's an absolute disaster. It is a mess. Comixology, which is the, the old Comixology, is my neat thing. Comixology was a damn near perfect way to read online comics. Absolutely done with fans in mind of being able to track down uh, work by the colorist or a letterer or not, a, not necessarily the, the artist and writer. It was designed, I believe, by comic fans for comic fans. And I enjoyed uh, Comixology for so many years. Unfortunately, this week with, uh, with Amazon, they have now uh, integrated it into the Amazon site, and it is just a disaster. Just go on Twitter if you want to find out uh, about what a disaster it is. But with a bit of luck, and this is kind of my neat thing, um, there's been a real lot of, of outrage on, on social media uh, and with fans of people who've really helped build up the site. Uh, people like Patton Oswalt as well have got involved, uh, comic writer Greg Pack. So many have trying to defend and, and help uh, Comixology get back to what it is. And it's just, uh, and I've I put some tweets up over the last couple of weeks and got some great responses from people who are part of this big comics community. And when I was a kid reading comics, I was pretty much on my own. I was one other kid in my school who read comics. And it's, it's just great to be part of, of people who are passionate about comics and, and passionate about this site. So with a bit of luck, Amazon Comixology will take heed and listen to what fans are saying because it's not out of the ordinary. No one's been mean, but we've been done badly by Amazon. 
um, the fact that you, if you're in the UK or in Europe, you can't subscribe anymore. So you've got every month you've got to try and remember and know when a, an issue comes out and try and remember to order it. It's just a disaster. So if uh, a bit like me, you've been bitten hard by what Comixology has done, and especially Amazon, just write to them, get in touch, let them know your, your thoughts. If enough people do it, we might be able to get Comixology back to what it was, which was a, the best uh, way of reading comics online uh, and remember that we're all part of a big community so a weird neat thing for me but that's my neat thing and that is it for this week's uh, show thank you as ever for joining us it's always a pleasure andy anything planned for your week off watch films i, I really need to get some some more activities in my <laughs> life no I'm, I'm i'm hoping to catch up with a few people during my week off maybe get a group round if i could everyone can get the time off work to do some board gaming because we've not done that for so long but generally it's just to to relax recharge my batteries and have myself a nice birthday well happy birthday in advance and uh, i will speak to you again next week when we've got another show andy i'll see you next week you can't go all the plants are gonna die (laughs) 